Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Cricket Scorers Untallied. I'm Brian Rodwell and as always I'm joined by Sue Drinkwater. Hello. And Julia Farman. Hello. So a pretty quiet week in uh, cricket circles I think this week. Um, Not helped by Boris's direct answer to a question in Parliament about about the, the, the chance of getting any cricket. Fingers crossed, another U-turn may be, may be upon us and we'll have some cricket at, uh, at some point. Um, anybody heard of anything, any other cricket going on in the world? Just a quick interjection to say that we had had an email from some listeners in Bermuda uh, letting us know that there was no cricket going ahead in Bermuda at the moment. However, in between recording and this podcast being uploaded, we received another message from them saying that there is now some cricket going ahead in Bermuda. So the Western Stars Cricket Club, amongst others, will be starting again from the 11th of July. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. There was some games going on in Switzerland this week and there was also, I believe, Iceland did their six-a-side tournament on the world's longest day, which was very long up in Iceland. So I think it's about 24 hours of sunlight, so Lord knows when they were playing cricket. Wow. But uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens actually domestically in England and Wales at the moment because I think a lot of the leagues were preparing to mm-hmm. start. Certainly, sorry, Championship where I score it, they were looking at a Fourth of July start. Well, that's rapidly gone out the window. Um, they're now looking at a later July start. Um, there's public health officials who like cricket who can't quite work out where Boris has got his science information from on the infection and the vector of the ball. So it's all a bit of a strange situation at the moment, especially when there's other sports like basketball, which are getting the go-ahead and cricket's not. Absolutely. uh, Yeah, it's a very, very tricky one. I just worry also about recreational cricket and the impact on club cricket and there's a lot of clubs at the moment that are doing lots of fundraisers and we're relying on the start of the season. It's going to be a bit of a tricky one, I think. It is, and the longer that it, there's no cricket being played, I think more and more people will find other things to do because um, cricket is actually quite a, a big commitment. It, it's played for a long time um, during the day, so to get them back out and keen to play, the longer it goes on, then I think, the fewer people will want to do that. But it is it is tricky. I agree. It's such a shame on the back of last year's World Cup win as well. Yeah. We had every opportunity to attract more boys and girls to play cricket in this country. Yeah. And to get involved and badger their parents to having a go. Yeah, and there was the... Um... The ECB's um, initiative to follow on from the All-Stars, they were launching Dynamos this year and they'd put a lot of effort into into that campaign, which um, is one of those um, competitions that was listed as now not starting in, in 2020. Um, so, yeah, there was quite a long list of those. I think uh, there were some under-17s games and, and some over-50s and the Bunbury Festival and all those sort of things. I know of at least one, uh, one public school. I know of one public school for definite, who are, are trying to think a little bit laterally about uh, getting their getting their pupils some cricket, mm-hmm. and that is they are talking about having a very small cricket season in September, when they come back from the summer holidays, mm-hmm. whereas whereas the first month would normally be devoted to rugby or football, 
they are contemplating having a cricket season for three to four weeks just so that pupils don't miss out on their cricket. Well, that's really good. Fingers crossed for an Indian summer. Yeah, I was going to say, quite often the weather can be good in September. Let's hope it is. We've had a good summer all the way through so far. but um, Typically, typically, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, So let's hope so. But that's a great idea. I think there are lots of good initiatives out there. People are being inventive and they're doing their best to keep things going. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you probably see a bit more of the uptake of um, shorter formats of the game just to get some cricket going on as well. So hopefully we'll get something. But I think the main thing is with all of this is actually just keeping safe. So we'll just have to wait absolutely and see. Absolutely right. Yeah, you're quite right. That's more important. It Indeed. Is. Indeed. Recently, I caught up with the Kent scorer, Lorne Hart, where we talked about life as a county first team scorer and what that involves, especially on match days. I don't like cricket. I'm joined today by Lorne Hart, who is the first team scorer at Kent. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. That's okay. I'm very good to meet you. I'll speak to you again, should I say. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you, how long have you been uh, scoring the Kent first team? Uh, I started my first year as the Kent scorer was 2012. Um, but I had been involved behind the scenes and doing some uh, games before that. That would be with like Jack and Jack Foley and Cliff Booth, etc. Uh, yeah, um, Jack obviously was first team scorer. Cliff Booth, the second team. Um, Jack had been doing it for quite a number of years. So when you had the touring games, um, you know the West Indians, Pakistanis, etc., he tended to leave those to Cliff. So I would do them with Cliff as the uh, uh, the backup scorer, so to speak, or the away scorer. Excellent. And and you were you, you've. Also done a lot of club scoring as well, haven't you? you what was your What was your club? Uh, yeah, I scored for Whitstable in Kent, um, where Joe Denley comes from. Uh, so I scored Joe for quite a few years. Um, started with them as a scorer in '96 when I realised um, I wasn't actually a cricketer, <laughs> like <laughs> a lot of scorers, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> what differences did you note between sort of scoring at club cricket and uh, and first class level, or even the touring games? Was it a big step up, big change for you? It is. You you have a, you have more time. I mean, as a uh, professional cricket, it's a lot of overs in a day, more overs than I was doing for my club. But you do have more time in between. Um, and there's more people there as well. So, yeah, quite often when you're doing club cricket, you might be there on your own. So you're giving it 100% concentration. And also, you tend to be on your own a lot more <laughs> than you do in club cricket. So club cricket, you always have players popping in to find out what their score was, how they were doing doesn't tend to happen so much with uh, first-class cricket. So it's so interesting. You say sort of less interaction. While the game's going on, there's less interaction at, uh, at first-class and first-team level at Kent than there would be at club level. Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, obviously, interaction with the players all the time. And I, I do for away games. We travel. We, I travel with the players on the coach. We stay in the same hotel. Um you know, have breakfast and evening meals with them. But my, you know, day usually starts with getting the team on the first day of a championship game. I go up in the change room, get the team from the captain. I write that out, you know, have a chat with the analyst, find out what he knows, if anything interesting going on. So um, once a game pretty much starts, I see the players at lunchtime for 20 minutes and again, then again at the end of the day. So during the day, there's not a lot of interaction with them as such. No, I can understand that. 
So when you're scoring, what um what equipment are you using? Are you scoring on a computer and are you doing a manual scoring as well, or do you just just do one or the other? No, um always have a backup. So I use a computer. I've been using a computer for quite a while now. I originally started on the uh, computer program TCS myself, the total cricket scorer. Um like a lot of the colleagues in first class and club cricket. I started on that version two and then I have a, a linear sheet as a backup. Okay. But at Kent, we also do have a book. We still have the traditional score book or a, a county score book. Excellent. It's, it's pretty much the same as um, most club games uh, with a, a few subtle differences, which obviously you know about, Brian, from your experiences. Yeah, yes, yes, indeed. So how did you, uh, how did you come to get the job at Kent? Um, it's a long story. Like most of it, it's a long story. Um, originally, I got noticed. Um, I used to watch all the time. I was a, a member at Kent, and I used to go up and watch all the, the Sunday league games they were. And I was actually watching Kent versus Leicestershire on the Sunday league game at Canterbury. And the two scorers were Jack Foley and Graham York, who was the Leicestershire scorer at the time. Mm-hmm. And David Master's brother, Daniel, was playing for Leicestershire. He'd, um, he was batting. He, he's getting towards the end of the innings, I think, by three or four balls left. They run a leg by, and Daniel went back on strike. Game finished, and I could see, because I always used to sit near, near the way the scorers were, if I could, to get a good view. I could see them sort of scratching their heads, working out, you know, how did the score get to like that when the batsman was still on strike? So um, I just popped my head in the door and explained to them. And uh, they said, oh, you know about scoring, let me stay. <laughs> so... I got involved that way. Uh, John Hook, who was the press associate scorer at the time, pre-opter, he asked me if I could help him out. So I did a few press association scoring games. And then that's how um, I picked up the games with Cliff Booth doing the um, touring games. Oh, okay, excellent. I am going on from that. Um, people won't know, but you were the um, Kent scorer, sharing with Jack Foley in 2011. I think it was. That's right, it was, yeah. So Jack had intimated to himself and myself that he was retiring at the end of the year. And um, from right, we, we had a chat. And between us, we didn't really go for four to give up work at the time. So we sort of come to an agreement where we could maybe do it between us, share the job on a over the way basis or whatever. Yeah. If I remember that you spoke to Paul Farbrose, who was the Kent coach at the time, and he was happy with that arrangement as he knew our styles of scoring and knew us both so he was happy to do that and then um, a few things happened where Jack decided to delay his announcement until <laughs> about three weeks before the season started that's right yep <laughs> yeah. of course by then um, it was too late for yourself to be able to do it so I got a phone call um, from Jeremy Clifford who was the CEO at the time and asked if I could do it uh, if not on a permanent basis at least on a temporary basis until we could sort something out uh, that's that's how it came about. Excellent. And you're still there? Yes, uh, very much so. Um, I do remember at the end of the first season saying to Jamie Clifford, are you happy to carry on? And I think the exact words were, it's yours until you decide you don't want to do it or die. <laughs> <laughs> I think I preferred the first version. <laughs> that's reasonable. Uh, definitely a job for life if you want it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. What better job could there be? Oh, definitely. I mean, I remember when I was scoring for Whitstable, uh, I always said I wanted to do a second eleven. Yeah. Um, so that way I could still score for Whitsable on the weekend because they only play as you, uh, Mondays through Friday. I'm glad I didn't now. Now I've seen it <laughs> and done a couple of games myself. It's a very long day at second eleven cricket. Um, yes. And it certainly is a different 
from from the first team. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. So on, on a typical match day at, at Kent, or uh, we'll, we'll say we'll say at Kent, but normally normally it's Canterbury. Who's in the box with you? Is it just the two scorers, or are there other people? No, at Canterbury, um, we actually. Still score from the or score in the press box as well. It's a combined scorers and press box. Um, a throwback, unfortunately, or fortunately, from when the counties um, all scorers used to score in the score box, and that way the press could get the um, up to date facts and figures from the, the scorers, um, especially at the end of the day when they would get their copy and send it through. So at Canterbury, we have myself and the away scorer, whoever that may be, and we have an opta scorer who. Um, does the data scoring, the input basically for um, press and stuff like that. And that's a guy at Canterbury called Asif, who's a, a club player, but um, learning to score and very good at what he does. Absolutely, yep. And then we have um, the PA announcer, the press, uh, the public address guy, who sits in the score box with us at Canterbury as well. So there's the four of us who are there all the time. And the press coming and going. And, and how does that work with your uh, relationship with the with the press? Does that cause you an issue with uh, with them being there? And uh, do you have to moderate your conversations or your opinions? Yes, you do. Um, we, I mean, there's usually two or three guys who would from every county. You, you get like Kent always has one person who's usually at every game. Um, then obviously the opposition usually have at least one um, reporter, unless it's Yorkshire, and they have about twenty. <laughs> But um, you you certainly have to be careful what you're saying pre-match about if you're going to... Because obviously you like to put the teams in as much as you can and put details into the computer beforehand. Uh, you tend Most scorers tend to know their teams in advance, so we can do that. But you have to obviously be aware um, who's listening. Um, these days, You certainly with anti-corruption, which applies not just to players, but also to scorers, we have to make sure we don't let anything out that might help people indeed absolutely and and of course you're privy to some information sometimes from uh, from from the dressing room which uh, shouldn't be passed on or, or discussed yes um yeah not just team selections obviously but injuries for players during or maybe just before the game you also get um the uh, other information such as uh, maybe players going going or coming on loan which obviously happens now in cricket I do remember a few years back now when James Trevor was still playing. He was with Kent. Uh, we were travelling to the away game and he suddenly said, oh, look, I've signed for Sussex. Um, so and he said, and he said to us, I'm actually playing for Sussex on loan in Red Bull. But I'm still playing for Kent and White Ball. But a press person overheard the conversation with someone else, James having, and just published it without actually asking the questions. So... Obviously, things like that, you do have to tend to be careful of what, what's been said around the people. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, do you also look after the scoreboards at uh, at Canterbury, or is that someone else doing that? Uh, yes, we have two scoreboards at Canterbury. We have the the old manual scoreboard uh, on top of the Leslie Ames stand, and we have the electronic scoreboard, um, which is controlled by my laptop now which is a lot easier now than it was when I started because it's now linked directly to my laptop so I only have to put one input. When I started in 2011, um, or 2012, sorry, it was two laptops. So I had one to put the scoreboard score details, one for the TCS and now PCS and obviously my backup paperwork as well. Not too bad in the championship or 50 over, but it could be a bit tight sometimes in a T20 game. 
Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine that got a little bit hectic. Yes, uh, especially some of these uh, run chases, the low run, low scoring run chases. They were they were very hectic, but it certainly made you able to watch a game and keep up to date. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, with the manual score, you mentioned the manual scoreboard across the other side of the ground from the score box. Uh, how do you communicate with them? How do you keep them correct? Well, we used to in the old days have a telephone, but unfortunately, that seems to have um, stopped working and just fallen out of use and never been repaired so now it's a mobile phone or a radio it used to be a radio all the time but with so many different people now requiring radios on the ground stewards caterers the medical staff um, various other people getting a channel was a lot harder so i tend to use my mobile phone but they are very good over there um adrian jewel and roy longley i think his name is sorry i must admit <laughs> um they yeah. scoreboard and they do a very good job uh, adrian actually scores on his iPad as well, so that helps. He keeps the game going that way. Uh, okay. And any other communications you have to deal with uh, during the day? Is there any, anyone else you have to have open channels with? Uh, we do with the umpires. Uh, we have a radio, radio to the umpires. Um, it's usually uh, the three radios, both the umpires and one to myself. Yeah. So we can communicate, and um, every so often I might ask, is that five balls, six balls, just to confirm. Um, we can also use it sometimes uh, to confirm how a, a catch or a, a wicket was made. You know, usually just can, can you confirm whether it's LBW or caught. Um, so that's that's good. Excellent. And, and do you, I'm presuming that the umpires will sometimes put some uh, some strange requests or normal requests your way about ground conditions or floodlights or anything like that. Is that is that down to you to uh, to communicate with as well? Yes, uh, it is at Canterbury. Some grounds, um, the the fourth radio, the grounds committee, uh, grounds um, operations team might keep it. So they they ask about floodlights or the ground staff at Canterbury. They will come to me and ask me if I can put floodlights on. I then phone the the person who does it at Canterbury. Normally, it's first thing is, can you put them up? And then maybe five ten minutes later, can we put now put them on? <laughs> How long do the lights take to come on from start from putting them up? Canterbury, well, they they from as we we have the extendable floodlights at Canterbury, same as at uh, the Over and Lords. Otherwise, we wouldn't be allowed to have them. And they usually take about ten minutes to go up from when you ask them, and then putting them on is usually about another ten minutes to full brightness. We had the flood five floodlights at Canterbury. Um, that they are very good. And in fact, actually, if I'm rightly, we could get away with four. They're not, they are, they're very good. So, and then for one thing, a good of it is about ours again is um, they can almost go straight off and on again. So you could, they can go off and go back on within five minutes. Whereas right. some grounds, it's when they go off, it's half an hour before they can be put back on again. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. When you have a situation with like Nisa Duckworth Lewis. Uh, calculation in a one-day game. How is that handled? What process do you have to get involved with there? Um, well, Duckworth Lewis, every county should have a Duckworth Lewis manager. At Canterbury, we do have. We have uh, Carl Smith, who's the actual finance uh, person as well. So he does it. So what he does, is, uh, when the Indians finishes, the first Indians finishes, he, he rings me just to confirm the score. He's in a separate location. So he would say, oh, you know, Ken's score was 120 for none, for 20 overs. So we put that in, and then he runs these off. And uh, PCS um, actually has an inbuilt copy of Douglas Lewis Stern, as it is now. Yep, and we will run for a couple of lines. So we might say four overs, you know, 40th over, or 
19th over in 2020 and just run through the line, confirm we've got the same figures. Okay, excellent. Yeah. And he takes care of the distribution. Yeah, I mean, distribution usually is usually to both umpires, um, the manual scoreboard on the other side of the ground, both teams. But you tend to find um, teams aren't so worried because it does appear on the scoreboard. So, um, which again is automatic. So that's quite good. And I just have to make sure um, it goes on there. I need to make sure it is on there and it is, it is correct. But, um, so they, they tend to look at that rather than anything else. Okay, excellent. Interesting. Um, thank you very much for taking the time to join us, Lorne. Much appreciated. That's okay. Pleasure. And I uh, hope everyone has a good season if we get one in this year. Yes. If not, doubly happy next year. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for Brian for that interview. It was quite the Kent love in there with the <laughs> with uh, a former Kent scorer and the current Kent scorer. But uh, fascinating to find out what goes on uh, behind the scenes, and um, especially down at Canterbury. So last week we posed the question: What do you do as a scorer in the score box when it starts to rain? First of all, before we launch into anything. Did we get any of our listeners uh, offering any any of their advice? So we did have Mike Turner come in, who quite enjoyed last week's episode. Thank you very much. He said he uses rain breaks to make corrections to ancient scorecards, which is uh, wow. quite uh, I'm quite intrigued. Are they his ancient scorecards or someone else's ancient scorecards? And do they mind having corrections made? Yeah, so how do you know what the actual scorecards were? Well, that's begged more questions. Mike, I think you need, yeah, Mike, you need to get back in touch with us. Now, I I know Mike Turner, actually, and um, I do know that he's he's taken a lot of time and trouble to go through his old club records, um, which um, I believe to be Cheltenham Civil Service, and to put them... Um, up on to play cricket so that you can look back at, at the st- statistics. You've got all the history there. Um, and I, I noticed that because there was a, a very old game where my club played against uh, his club and, and all of a sudden that, that one scorecard for me uh, appeared uh, in play cricket. So maybe that's where that's what he's getting at maybe he's talking about correcting the score cards that are in play cricket from the score books i don't know i'm guessing it would be really good to hear from mike the detail of that and what he actually does with it absolutely to go and see what do you do well i think at club level it's relatively easy because you're going to be in a smaller space so you'll all pile into the pavilion usually um and have a cup of tea and a general chit-chat. But in professional cricket, it's a little more tricky because uh, you have to sit around quite often for a lot longer because they have to decide um, if there's any play possible towards the end of a day, especially in a multi-day game, um, where if you could get out for the last half an hour of the day or something, then it would be worth doing that because that's an extra half an hour in the game. And with the the covers and the drainage that you get at the first-class grounds, if it does rain, there is a lot more chance 
that you have of getting getting some play. So you are sitting, or you can be sitting around for a long time, just waiting uh, for the ground to dry out, even when it's finished raining. Um, so I would do, or I would attempt to do something similar to Mike. If I think there's rain forecast, then I will quite often take some admin work to do with me. I'll take some paperwork um, and and do some some admin work online um, or just on the computer. But there's four or five people often in a score box and it only takes one of them to to not have admin work to do um, and everything goes out the window so there's a lot of general banter there's a lot of tea and coffee drunk um there's a lot of quizzes done where somebody will ask a question um and Brian, I think uh, we've been in the same score box at, at Lords a few times where where it's rained. And one of the favourites up there is to try and, and create a team of players whose names fit a certain category. Um, yes, indeed. Yes, I have been involved in those certain conversations. Uh, it's very bizarre because it, what normally happens is a lot of answers come out. I should clarify what we're talking about here. It'll be like a theme. For example... It will be like a team of test cricketers who are named after places in London. So, for example. Um, or, or maybe test cricketers named after things to eat. Or they, yeah. They'll just be a theme and it'll yeah. usually be a theme that's come up for some other reason in, in the score box during the day. What tends to happen is you get loads of answers and all of a sudden the game will commence and it'll be absolutely dead quiet and then someone will just yell out a random place name. <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of the game and everyone goes what what's that about oh yeah that's to do with the quiz that we started about three hours ago but uh <laughs> but yes ha- having been um having been told my input was not very uh welcome when when they uh asked for places in london places in the uk and i got told that gordon greenwich wasn't acceptable oh, wasn't greenwich. an acceptable answer greenwich yeah greenwich they, right yeah yeah, they didn't see vetoed, that. Did they? It did got vetoed. Yeah, they didn't see oh. that as a, a valid answer. <laughs> oh. Can't think why. But I I do remember at Worcestershire, um, sitting there for the whole four days of a championship match without a ball being bowled, which was a, a long time to stay there all four days of it. Um, it was the opening match of the twenty sixteen season. Should have started um, on. April the 10th and it was my first season um, as as first 11 scorer and I was only filling in temporarily then and the previous winter I had won in the raffle at the end of season due I had won um, a hospitality box for that very match and I had at the time thought this is going to be great I'm just going to be in the hospitality box watching the game having a glass of wine with my friends and family and it'll be absolutely wonderful um, so I had I filled the box with friends and family not a problem but I had to say sorry I'm not going to be there with you I'm going to be in the score box working which would have been lovely and I think some of them would have quite liked that idea but unfortunately, they had to sit around too um, and saw no cricket whatsoever. Um, and I, 
our guests that in that match were actually Kent. So I spent those four days with Lorne Hart that you've just heard in that interview. Um, so yeah, we did. We had a lot of chatter. We had a lot of banter. I didn't really do any work because. Um, yeah, I, d- I just didn't take it with me. Um, <laughs> but my friends and family at managed to have a, a, a tour of the score, score box. They came in and we, we talked them through what goes on in the professional game and they had a look around, um, which they wouldn't have been able to do had the game been going on. So, um, yeah, but it was a long four days, I have to admit. I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> of, of course, when we're stuck with uh, stuck with rain breaks, we... We quite often think in a club game, certainly, um, maybe sacrilegiously, but we uh, sometimes wish it would rain really hard so that someone will actually make a decision rather than us, uh, rather than us sitting around at maybe 11, half past 11, and it'll be drizzly and someone says it'll be fine by lunchtime, it'll clear up at three. Or and Sometimes you just wish for that real extra downpour so that someone can go, yeah, it's off. We can go and do something else. Yeah. But uh, I know that's a bad thing to say, but... <laughs> well, no, it's not a bad thing to say because nobody really wants to just be sitting around wasting their time. If there is a chance of play, then obviously you want play to happen. But otherwise, yeah, just get on and make a decision. I tell you what, I was in a match last year where it, it got uh, like that. So it really rained heavy all morning. And I think we're one of the only few games to actually happened that day in the Surrey Championship even though it absolutely hosed it down there was a duck on the pitch at one point it was that wet (laughs) but they were so determined to play because they needed the points because to get the promotion that we ended up playing and uh, I just remember um, that we were all sort of underneath like um, because I score outside in the picnic table I had the scorer next to me who had his play cricket all set up. I think he was the only person in the whole of that division who was using the proper laptop play cricket pro. I have um, myself there doing, uh, well, trying to do sort of a rough linear and a, and play cricket on the app. And then my other half turned up because his game got called off and he was doing the actual scoreboard itself. It kept on going, raining in and out, in and out. And my captain was so determined to play. The other side were losing their rag because they wanted to go home because they were sodden and wet. Um, I have a feeling that we did actually win the match, but it got a bit testy actually because of the sort of conditions. Um, you could always create a podcast because I think this came out of a rainy day, didn't it? Actually, <laughs> <laughs> it certainly um, did. It did. Yeah. It did. We sat around and mould mold an idea over, and actually, not sure I thought it would ever happen, but here we are. We're doing it. We are. <laughs> <laughs> In, at club cricket as well, I think it's it's sometimes difficult for scorers to carry on in the weather you said Jules you're sitting outside at a picnic table that no consideration is ever given to the poor scorer who might have to try and hold an umbrella up whilst whilst scoring a match um or you know their 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 sheep becomes completely illegible yeah, fortunately, actually, they're quite sweet at the club. The boys will always come over and they'll either scoop up some of the electronics or they'll come and sort of grab something and bring it inside. So actually, they're quite, they're really lovely on that front. Um, oh, but there have good. been some places I've scored that where literally I'm sort of 
dashing in and out, dashing in and out, and everybody else is keeping dry. And I'm thinking, why am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can remember those days. My club used to be good, like you say. If they saw me pick my stuff up and run, if there were some rain spots, I'd just like pick the book up and run, and I'd find that I was followed by all my stuff. They were God. they were very good too. Yeah, I was, I was very fortunate in a game a couple of years ago where the um the umpire who I know very well, who was actually, there was rain, there was rain forecast and it was looking a bit dodgy anyway. And he said to me, uh, just give me a signal if you need a couple of minutes to move. And oh. bless him, he actually stopped the game while I relocated. I was the only scorer at the time, so it wasn't as if someone could actually carry on. I was the only scorer and he actually stopped the game for two or three minutes while I relocated uh, and then carried on which is very good of him. Yeah, it is. That's very good. Yeah. It does depend actually sometimes if rain breaks who your colleague is that day because sometimes you can abs- have an absolute hoot in the box. Other mm. times, I mean, I think I sorted out someone's near divorce with his partner at the time, which was a bit trying because I only met him that morning and I wasn't quite <laughs> sort of anticipated being a marriage counsellor. Um, I, have, I have actually managed to find... Um, is it a chiropodist that does backs? No, a chiropractor. A oh. chiropractor. And I was having a really bad back at the time and he was sort of basically clumped me into place. So he did that on the rain break once <laughs> before. That was quite handy. <laughs> <laughs> the joys of a very sort of uh, recreational club cricket is you find some characters that can give you a bit of a hand with things. Um, Excellent. Uh- once or twice in in the professional game, especially I'd say at second eleven cricket, although although there's been a bit dodgy at first eleven sometimes, is being notified of <laughs> what's going on in the game because the score box is quite often a long way from the pavilion. Certainly with us at, at New Road, we're quite a long way from the pavilion, um, and we can't see what's going on. Um, to know whether or not they've taken lunch or tea early. And yeah. uh, in fact, I believe it didn't happen to me, but I've heard other people say that they've heard that a game was called off early and they nobody told the scorers. And it was only when they sort of saw somebody driving out of the gate in a car, uh, they realised everybody else had already gone home. But I've certainly been um, in a score box. Uh, I was scoring for I was actually scoring for Warwickshire second 11 and it was a, a many years ago now um I did I did a one-off day for them and uh it in fact I barely scored for them because there was so much rain about um and the score box it was one of the outgrounds it wasn't Edgebust and it was at an outground and the score box was the other side of the ground from the pavilion and you just think, well, nobody's told us anything. Uh, we wondered what was going on. So you get the binoculars and have a look. And sure enough, there's everybody else tucking into the sandwiches and the cakes. Oh, <laughs> and no. we're just sitting the other side in the score box because, um, yeah, they, people forget to notify the scorers on occasions. It's only yes. on occasions, I will say. It's not all the time. Um, but uh, unfortunately, it does happen sometimes. I must admit, you mentioned about um, watching the game, watching people drive away. I, I have been in that position, watching my own captain drive out of the ground, no. uh, having got fully changed, <laughs> jump in his car and his civvies and, and, and drive out the ground. I'm thinking, I think it might be over. <laughs> I'm that on a hot day. Yes. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. My goodness. Steve Ryan that turned up to a match and it had been called off for rain. Yes, that has happened to me quite a few times over the years. Um, twice in five games two years ago. And I wrote a letter, I wrote a letter to our committee, not a nasty one, just saying, if it's off, don't forget about me. And I got about seven or eight phone calls. And by the time I'd finished the, the, that week, I felt really quite guilty that it was actually probably my fault. <laughs> Did you play Simple Minds? Um, is it, don't, oh, it don't was you, a Simple Minds track. Don't you forget don't, don't about, you forget about you, me. Yeah. Yeah. Did you just play that down the phone to them? <laughs> but, but, but when both these games were... Well, one was a 200-mile round trip one game no. on a Sunday morning for a one-day oh, game. Wow. Another one Another one was for, was a 150-mile round trip. Mm. Your sense of humour tends to fail a little bit. Oh, when absolutely. You, when you get to the ground and you hear those immortal words from the groundsman, which, which every scorer dreads, yeah. has nobody told you. Unfortunately, uh, I've been in that boat too. And there are now some um, systems for... Um, appointing the umpires and sometimes the scorers to matches um, where if any changes are made, um, it, it notifies everybody. Um, and I guess that's a good thing now because then the scorers don't get forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So we did have another question for next week, which is what makes a good cricket tea? Now there's been the World Cup of cricket tees going on on Twitter most recently. I have to say, I didn't see who won the World Cup of cricket tees. So I'll have to do a little bit of research, but I knew that was going on and people could vote online to um, say what they wanted to go through in each stage. So I'll have to, we can let everybody know next week when I found it, who actually won. But uh, yeah. What makes a decent cricket tea? So if you can get in contact with us, we're at cricketscorers1 on Twitter, or you can email us at cricketscorersuntallied at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to know what makes for a really good cricket tea. I might also expand that as well, purely for my own selfish knowledge, is do you know a club with a particularly good cricket tea? Because I want to go and score there. <laughs> well, I think I think in the uh, in the base in the, just for research purposes that we should for this yeah. podcast that we should just uh, go and go research and some of these out. suggestions. Mm, I definitely think so. Yeah, yeah. And and of course, please the f- do get in contact. Send in samples. Your sample of a fruit cake. <laughs> It's a bit difficult to put a sample of a fruitcake on Twitter. <laughs> and, of course, the first proviso is of a cricket tea is that the scorers actually get to get to have some. There's actually some left while some of the scorers get there. Oh, yeah, that would be nice. So thank you for joining us for this episode. Uh, all other episodes are still available from your normal podcast provider. Don't forget you can get in contact, us, contact with us on Twitter or via email. So it's goodbye from Sue. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Jules. Ciao. (laughs) And it's goodbye from me. (laughs) Goodbye. Did we get any of our listeners 
uh, offering any any of their advice. Yes. Now we did have. Oh, my computer's gone slow. You might not want the whole music. I'll start with this again, sorry, mate. 